Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. Get your Bibles out. The Living Word, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be there again. Ephesians chapter 2. You begin to fade out the music. Hallelujah. I've got a preach in my spirit this morning. We are going to cover a lot of ground scripturally. I think I sent Amber like 15 scriptures this morning, so just do your best to take notes and uh, buckle up, but unbuckle at the same time. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And here's our key verse that we've been living in for the last few weeks. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! Father, we thank You for the Word, and we thank You that it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And I thank You this morning for the anointing that makes preaching easy, that I might communicate Your revelation, God, that together collectively... As you've given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints so that collectively we might come to the full maturity of faith. I thank you this morning that we would come to the full maturity of faith in your word, that it would be alive to us this morning. I thank you, Father, for the anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage. And I thank you that when I pull my hands back this morning, be your handprint that's left in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus in the church said, Amen. Amen. We've been in this series for a few weeks now about positioned. We've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. And we've talked about how we were raised with Christ and the the concept of our positioning in the Spirit. That we've been seated with Christ. And that in that, that there is an outworking of that in our daily lives. So we've been raised with Christ, seated in heavenly places with Him. As Christ is at the right hand of the Father, so are we. When we catch that revelation, we have been seated with Christ. That we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Therefore, we are already equipped to achieve the works of God. And that this positioning gives us confidence. We talked about confidence last week. The week before that, we talked about authority. The week before that, we talked about access. And it can be assumed that with this positioning, that it is more than just being comfortable. It's not just about being comfortable. Actually, when you begin to recognize that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, it'll make you a little uncomfortable because it's going to force you out of your typical comfort zone into the reality of where we're seated. If I was seated next to Christ at all times, which I am, but if I lived from that revelation, I think I'd be a little more uncomfortable than I normally am. Because I would have to live from the reality. I'm seated with Him. My actions. I love the way Bill Johnson says it. He said, if you had to carry a dove on your shoulder all the time, how would your behavior change? 
And I think that's a good challenge for us this morning. If we truly live as though we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, our behavior should change. Our actions should change. Our reactions should change. There are certain things you don't say in the throne room. And yet, we often live apart from that. And so we're going to talk about this morning the fourth key in knowing our position, which is partnership. There is a partnership that we have with the King of Kings because we've been seated with Him in heavenly places. Scripture demonstrates that our positioning does mean a lot more than living just this pleasant spirit experience. A lot of Christians live their lives as though heaven's going to be this place of sitting on clouds and playing harps. And we pretend that we're not in an actual war. And we pretend that everything is hunky-dory and we have our, our Christian language, our Christianese and our evangelical Latin to get us through, but we live outside of the reality of actually being seated with Christ. And that's the challenge this morning that I want to challenge you with is that not only have we been given access, access, not only have we been given authority, not only have we been given confidence, but we are called to partnership. Called to partnership. We were raised up with him and seated with him. Then the Bible describes aspects of this partnership. 1 Corinthians 3.9 For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Greg, I'm getting a ton of like echo up here. It's, it's driving me crazy. It's like hollow and echoing and you can just pull the monitors back. Some. Romans 8.17 says this, We are fellow heirs with Christ. This microphone is going to drive me crazy. There's demons in the microphone today. Pastor Hector, can you hand me that handheld? Because I cannot preach. Yeah, that one. Thank you, because I'm going crazy up here. And I can't even read my notes because I'm hearing myself three times up here. I'm hearing, fellow, 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 fellow. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's going to be a good message because the demons are messing with the sound system. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. I want to go back to that one. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You are God's building. God doesn't dwell in temples made by man. He dwells in you and I. We're the walking mobile tabernacle of the Most High God because we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Romans 8, 17. We are fellow heirs with Christ. Galatians 4, 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We've got to come to the reality that we are working with God. He has chosen us. We are sons of God. We are heirs with Christ. We are working with God. And it's all a powerful concept emphasizing our partnership with the kingdom that we've been given. Luke 12 says, Fret not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We've been given it. And so I want to examine this first aspect out of Romans 8, 17. We are fellow heirs with Christ. What is an heir? An heir is a person with the right of inheritance. I want you to keep that phrase in your mind. The right of inheritance. When parents die, property goes to them. It's not earned, but it is of right because of the position in the family. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1-2 that Jesus Christ 
is the heir of all things. So the relationship is simple. If Jesus is the heir of all things and we are fellow heirs with Christ, then we are similarly heirs of all things. You need to get that. So here's an incredible position of blessing that we are already placed in. In Ephesians 2, it speaks in the past tense. He seated us. It's something that already took place. And so many of us live from this this concept that we're waiting for blessings that have already been paid for. You've already been given access. When you came to the saving knowledge of Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law all the way back then. And he's just been waiting for you to come into the reality. Surrender your life to that reality. Surrendering to that reality. So if we are heirs with all things, heirs of all things, Galatians 3.29 says this, that we are heirs according to. To promise, when Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he was giving us a down payment on what was already paid for. It was a security deposit. He said, I'm giving you access to the full kingdom. I'm giving it to you. I've already given it to you. So many of us live below the standard of an heir. Last year we preached a lot on sons not slaves or sons not servants and we treat God like this taskmaster when he's our father who has already paid the price. We are heirs of all things. We are co-laborers with Christ. We are fellow workers. We are heirs of the kingdom. What are all the things promised to us? Well, I want to list just a few and I'm going to read these off quickly. So take notes. Heirs of the kingdom, according to James 2.5. We are heirs of the world, according to Romans 4.13. And we are heirs of God, according to Romans 8.17. You are an heir. You get that. You're an heir. You're not some far-off slave. You're not just a, a, a lowly worker. You're an heir. You have already been seated with Christ in heavenly places. This knowledge is so important. And one of the greatest prayers of the New Testament is called the Apostolic Prayer is Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. And I want to read that to you this morning. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. You need to know. Paul writes and he says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be opened. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know What? What is the hope of his calling? You've got a hope of his calling. And your eyes, the eyes of your heart, that they would be enlightened, that you'd know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? What? Toward us who believe. Do you believe this morning?
When you begin to reframe your thinking and begin to believe that you're a co-heir with Christ. To come to some understanding as the investment God has placed in our lives. It can be hard to grapple with. Especially for, for some of us who didn't come from any type of inheritance or didn't come from a legacy or didn't come from knowing what it meant to, to be in line for an inheritance. We can come into this and say, I don't know how to grapple with this idea because my family didn't have that and I, I don't know what it means to, to be an heir. If you're like me, all of my inheritance on my dad's side was lost in one gambling game. My grandfather was a very wealthy man, owned lots of acreage. There was lots of acreage, had, had a beautiful red convertible Cadillac. And when my grandmother died, he became an alcoholic. And my grandmother died when my dad was about 13. And my grandfather just became a drunk and had all this farmland in central California. It was some like 1,500 acres of orange trees and lemon trees and and all this beautiful land. I've seen the land. And in one gambling game, he had a, had a thrifty cousin who got him drunk and said, let's put it all on the line. And in one game, my grandfather lost it all in a bad hand of poker, signed it all over. There was a, a, a contestation to the will a few years ago that we began to look into to see, was it actually a legal transaction? Because when he looked at the land, it was still in my grandfather's name. And that land today was worth $22 million. But it was all lost. There was no, we couldn't contest it. Because he had him sign one little piece of paper at the end of that poker game and lost it. And for so many of us, we live as though the inheritance has been lost. We live that way. And so my, my dad, one of the reasons that he, he struggled so much in his life, and if you know my story, you know, he, he, he was an alcoholic, he was a drug user, he had all sorts of issues. There was abuse, there was all sorts of things there. And I, I remember as a kid, my, my dad talking about, if so-and-so ever dies, I'll get all this stuff. He lived for a great windfall. And so many of us live our lives waiting for some great windfall. Someday I'll be a millionaire. Someday this will happen. Someday great Aunt Agatha is going to die and I'll get something. But you need to know you've already been given the inheritance of the kingdom that is far greater than silver or gold, that is far greater than a big bank account, that is far greater than any earthly possession. You have the glorious riches of the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And for too long, the church has lived below that standard and we're waiting for some material wealth, some material breakthrough. But you're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. There's tremendous security in that. You see, that is the power of understanding concerning us as heirs of God. There is tremendous security. I know that my father already has it in line for me. 
He's already provided. He's already made a way. There's no temptation common to man that He's not already provided a way of escape for. When I live from the reality, there is no devil in hell that can defeat me because my daddy's on the throne and I'm sitting at His right hand. I don't care what, what storm comes because my dad's already paid the price for it and I'm seated with Him. So if I'm in the boat, I know that God's in my boat. You've got to live from that reality, church. Stop looking at your your circumstance as something to defeat you, but recognize it's just stockpiling my inheritance in heaven, that this is just another opportunity to bring the lamb the full reward for his suffering. Because when I react to it in the right way, I bring glory to the Father. Hallelujah. We know as believers, our future is secure. We are heirs of the kingdom of God, the greatest, most powerful, most influential kingdom ever known to mankind. It's not a kingdom that can be seen with natural eye, but it's a kingdom that's ever increasing. It's a kingdom that is unshakable, and it has a throne in the middle of it that will never be moved. And one day we will stand around that throne and with all of the angels and the elders declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in the present, we can declare holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is returning and I can stay in that place of my eyes focused on my father because I am a co-heir with Christ I've been seated with him in heavenly places and there is no storm that I can't overcome It is the most affluent, the most authoritative, and the longest lasting kingdom that has ever and will ever be. It's an eternal kingdom that we enter into, receive from, and live in abundance right through into eternity. Start recognizing, I'm not part of a democracy. I'm part of the greatest theocracy there's ever been. I'm part of the kingdom of God, and I have an inheritance in that kingdom. So whether it's the donkey or the elephant, I don't care because I've got the lion and I've got the lamb. And that's the kingdom that I serve. If I'm moved by earthly politics, I've got my eyes off the kingdom that I'm part of. Does that mean I remove myself? No. Do I need to be involved in what's happening in the earth? Yes. Why? Because I'm an ambassador of a kingdom. I'm an ambassador. And so he wants to get the donkey saved and he wants to get the elephant saved and he wants to get everything in the middle saved. Hallelujah. But see, that's not all. Whenever necessary, those resources, that authority, that affluence is available now when necessary. Our Heavenly Father is not going to see us go without. He will resource us. His provision has no end. The inheritance reserved for us can be called on now when required. Let me tell you, there's no red tape to the oil in the kingdom. Hallelujah. There's all this debate about whether we can drill in these states or do all these things. Well, I serve a kingdom that has oil without end. Listen, do I want gas prices to be as high as they are? No. Am I moved by it? No. Why? Because my daddy already has it provided. Pastor Anna sent me a little clip this week. It was about uh, 10 things wealthy people never tell you or something like that. 
And, and it said wealth does not come from salary alone. That every wealthy person will tell you, you're never going to become wealthy just based on your salary. That it's based on in, uh, investments and, and all these practices. And it was a great little clip. And, and it got me thinking about how we operate in the kingdom. How often we think, well, I'm going to be just prosperous based on my tithe alone. Or I'm going to be prosperous just based on this principle. Or I'm going to do this. Listen, I'm part of a kingdom. When you get that, everything he has belongs to me. Because he seated me with him. So I'm not moved by earth's economy. I'm not moved by temporal things. The inheritance reserved for us can be called on now when required. And that inheritance means you and I stand in direct line for blessing from God. That legally, in the spirit, we are in the family line for blessing of God's family for provision and blessing both here and now and in the future kingdom. So I began to pray. This is what I began to pray when I began to realize that the natural inheritance was gone. I began to pray, God, you've given me a kingdom inheritance. And I don't need to be a millionaire, but I want 22 million souls for the $22 million that was stolen. I want to begin to see, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things. Those will be added unto you. But when my eyes are set on the kingdom, when my eyes are set on what needs to happen, listen, one day, all of this, kaplowy, it's gone, burned up, but that kingdom will be without end. And that's the reward I'm looking for. I don't need to be wealthy on earth. I'm wealthy in heaven. I don't need to have all of these stockpiles of gold and silver on the earth. I've got it in heaven. I've got streets paved with gold that one day I will walk on, that one day I will stand in the presence of the King of Kings. So stop being moved by this earth. You need to become so heavenly minded that you are plenty of earthly good. I think the issue we've had is too many people are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. This is a privileged position. And it's meant to give us such faith concerning our lives. It's meant to give us stability and confidence and assurance that whatever life throws our way, we are already in a place of blessing and security. Sickness comes towards me. My daddy didn't give me sickness. Therefore, he's given me healing. So I begin to call on my inheritance. You already paid for my healing. Debt comes my way. Two questions about debt. Did you do it in disobedience and does it need to be solved quickly? Yes and yes. He's already paid for it. He's already paid for it. He's already paid for it. I want to take one aspect of this inheritance. James 2.5 says we are heirs of the kingdom. There is an aspect where the kingdom of God is future. We have to understand that the kingdom is both past and present and future. That the kingdom is tri-dimensional. But the blessings of the kingdom begin in this life. So the kingdom is in our future, but it is also in our now. And what the kingdom means is authority, power, influence, and rights of provision. So we are heirs of the kingdom. The second aspect of this partnership is 1 Corinthians 3.9 says we are fellow workers. Now when we hear this idea of fellow workers, 
that word work for a lot of us is not a good connotation. You mean I have to work? Yes. But let's understand what it means. Because when we look at who we are working with and what he is doing in order to know what we are helping to do as fellow workers, it changes our whole perspective. John 9, 4 says this, We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. Let me tell you, church, night is coming. And we must work the work he sent us to do while it is still day. So that we might bring the lamb the full reward of his suffering. John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 17.4, King James, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. So we are fellow workers called to do the work of God. Jesus said, that is my mission, to do the will of him who sent me. And eventually, he rejoiced in the fact that he'd accomplished that work. Now, the disciples, having heard about this work, were most concerned to know what the work was. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. I've only got 17 more pages of notes. I'm just kidding. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then are you doing as a sign that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Verse 27 relates to this idea that this work is to getting that which feeds eternal life. The work is that which feeds eternal life. And that this is a work of faith. And it again relates to this idea that the work that he has called us to is to feed those around us with that which is eternal. That's the work. The work of God is bringing life. You are called, church, to bring life to dead situations. You are called to walk in resurrection power. What was Jesus doing? Acts 10.38. It says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was bringing life, healing, and deliverance to those who were oppressed in pain and in suffering. As I close this morning, that was God's desire, that Jesus' work to fulfill, and that is what we are in partnership with Jesus, to continue to do. Your work is to bring life. 
It's simple. It's not complicated. And every resource you need to bring life, you've already been given. Do you get that? Every resource you need to bring life has already been given to you. We are called to be life givers through the power of Jesus Christ. And in that, the work is not labor in terms of pain and suffering and sweat. The work is the privilege to bring the life of God to those dead in their sins and suffering in their pain. We are called to be life changers. We are called to bring the life of God to a dying humanity. This is the work of God. My bread is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus came to restore humanity back to the place of right relationship with their creator. And we're called to that same work. That we might be a demonstration of the kingdom of God in the earth. That we might be those who when the world looks at us, they say, what is it about those people? They've got so much life. There's so much life. I had someone say that to me this week as I was in the store. I don't even remember why I was in the store. I was getting something. And this this older lady, she said, Sir, what? What did? And she just stopped. She goes, I've never seen so much life in someone's eyes. And I said, ma'am, it's Jesus. And she goes, I thought so. I thought so. We are co-heirs. We are seated with Christ. I want people, when they look in my eyes, not to see Jacob. I could care less if anyone ever knew my name, if anyone ever knew who I was. When they look at me, I want them to say, I've never seen so much life. And be able to answer, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I'm seated with him. The concept that I started with today is partnership. We are working in partnership with God to bring life, to bring healing, to bring hope. And with the inheritance we have at our disposal, the tools necessary to achieve this great work. He did not leave you alone. He did not leave you abandoned. He gave you His Spirit that you might be the demonstration of the kingdom of God in the earth. There's nothing you'll face. Nothing that He hasn't already provided for. God's not the author of sickness. He's not the author of poverty. He's not the author of calamity. He is not the author of any of those things. But he is the solution to all of them. And he chooses to use us to bring those solutions. That dead things might live again. Will you stand this morning, church? When I said that, it reminded me of a testimony. I was preaching in this church uh, in the 
the state of Oregon. It's before I was married. And there was a wheelchair section in this service. And I said, will you stand? And the pastor's wife came over to me and she says, don't say that. You'll offend all those in the wheelchairs. We don't use that phrase. And I, I didn't have a whole lot of wisdom as an 18-year-old in those days. And I said, now I'm going to say it. But here's what happened. I said, I want everyone in the sound of my voice to stand this morning. And over in the wheelchair section, seven people stood up. And when those seven stood up, I don't think I've even told Anna this testimony. I just remembered it. Those days of preaching were both amazing and and I probably need counseling from some of it. Some of it I've repressed because I was an unwise 18-year-old. But seven of them stood up, shocked that they stood up. There was probably 13 or 14 of them over there. And I said, wasn't that cool? Now watch this. I said, okay, you standing, turn and pull the others out. Well, one of them fell right on their face. So I'm talking about needing a little counseling. So we got him back up, put him back in his wheelchair. But out of the 13 or 14, 90% of them stood and walked out of that building, never in a wheelchair again. Some of you have been in the wrong seat. You've been sitting in your pain. You've been sitting in your depression. You've been sitting in, in your poverty. You've been sitting in your sickness. You've been sitting in the wrong seat. And I want to say to you this morning, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And this morning... I'm going to open the altars. If you've been sitting in the wrong seat, I want to pray for you this morning and get you back to the right place. But if you're in this room this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe at one time in your life you were serving Him and this morning you'd say to me, Pastor, I'm I'm far off. I'm not close to Him anymore. In just a moment, I'm going to have you take a step of faith. If that's you this morning, come join Pastor Hector and Susanna over to my right here. Your left, my right. If that's you this morning, you've never given your life to Christ or you're saying, I, I want to I rededicate my life. I want to come back. In just a moment, I'm going to have you take that step of faith. And then we as a church, we're going to pray with you. I say this often. It's not the prayer that saves you. Jesus saves you. But the prayer is a good invitation to start that journey with him. You might be watching by live stream this morning. I know we have a few watching. You've never given your life to Christ or you'd say to me this morning, Pastor Jacob, I'm, I'm, I'm far from him and I want to get close to him again. I want to come back. If that's you this morning, I want you to just slip up your hand so I can see you this morning. We may not have anybody in here this morning, but church, what I want to do is I want us to pray in concert or just pray with me this morning because there might be someone who's not ready to take that step but wants to start towards taking that step. I want us to pray this morning. I want us to say, Jesus, thank you for being rich in mercy. I repent of my sin and I choose to follow you. I choose to give you my life in exchange for yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook, or 
visit www.equippingchurch.us.